0: Strange Matters podcast. Here at Strange Matters, we discuss everything that's mysterious, bizarre, and unexplained. I am Sean, and I will be your host for this episode, and I am joined by my fellow co host, Eric.
1: Greetings, everybody.
0: All right, so for this episode, we will be discussing one of the most popular mysteries out there, and it's personally one of my favorite mysteries of all time. It is also one of the first mysteries that I really dove into and that ended up getting me hooked on the subject. So for this episode, we'll be discussing the Dyatlov Pass incident.
1: Yeah, one of the things that makes this particular case so fascinating is the fact that, unlike many other mysteries, there's really no doubt regarding some of the facts surrounding this case. I mean, this incident really did occur. There's tons and tons of photographic evidence, and it really threw the entire country into a stir and the other thing that's commonly accepted as true is that the incident led to all nine companions experiencing the same emotion immediately prior to their death and that was complete abject horror
0: yeah it is really scary thinking about what was going through these people's heads throughout this night but we'll get into that later on now i'm sure many of you fellow mystery buffs out there have at least heard quite a bit about this chilling case But for those who haven't heard about it before, the the Yolov Pass incident was an event that happened in the winter of 1959 and involved a group of nine experienced hikers who went missing in the Ural Mountains in Russia.
1: Yeah, the Ural Mountains are actually one of the most desolate places on Earth, and it's about 16,000 square miles of dense forest and frozen caves.
0: Yeah, apparently a dangerous place to go hiking also.
1: Pretty much lifeless altogether.
0: Yeah. Basically, when these hikers went missing, a a rescue and investigation team was sent in, and they would find the deceased bodies of the hikers spread out with signs of bizarre and gruesome and strange wounds. That's probably one of the most baffling cases in the last century in Russia.
1: I agree. There's There's a little doubt about that.
0: So for this discussion, we'll be diving into the All the strangeness surrounding this entire incident and presenting the popular and even outlandish theories as to just what happened that night. At the same time, for those of you who are already somewhat familiar with this mystery, we will be going and debunking some of the myths and exaggerations about this case that is still being spread around to this day. If you have looked into this case before, you might have heard mentions of pretty crazy theories and stuff ranging from ufos to yeti attacks to experimental soviet weapons so we will do our best to dispel some of the obviously false theories for this incident and before we get started we would like to thank jc for not only suggesting this idea to us but also for supporting our show on patreon so thanks very much to jc yeah thanks jc all right eric do you want to get us started with some of the history and background of this case
1: Yeah, so I'll start us off. Um, January 1959, it actually started off as a group of ten experienced and hardened hikers. They were setting out on yet another expedition into the bleak wilderness of the Ural Mountain Range in Russia. And one of the group, Yuri Yudin, became ill at the last outpost on the way into the wilderness. He ended up staying behind so he could recover from his ailment. And Yuri watched enviously as his comrades walked away, leaving him in the safety of civilization, having difficulty imagining a scenario in his own mind that he was actually, in fact, the lucky one. And Yuri would go on to tell that the one thing that had haunted him over his years more than anything was not being able to identify what actually happened to his comrades that night.
0: I think that's something that you would find in a lot of these lone survivor type cases. You know, if you're the last one left, you can't help but think, what might have gone differently if I was there? It must have devastated him knowing that something caused all his friends to die, but at the same time, he has no idea what it was or what he could have possibly done to help in that situation.
1: Definitely. I mean, he was one that survived. However, it's almost I I could imagine him thinking, I almost wish I was there. So this curiosity wouldn't be eating me alive inside. And perhaps, like you said, there's something I could have done to help. Exactly. So the remaining nine souls were seasoned and hardy hikers and explorers. And they had been preparing for this relatively brief trek across the wilderness as a temporary reprieve from their intense graduate studies. And it was intended to last no more than 14 days. Unfortunately for them, the only thing that remains is a photograph of their smiling faces that was taken shortly before their demise.
0: Now, one thing I would like to stress is that they were all experienced hikers and athletes, so this was not a group of buddies deciding to go on a mountain trip or someone just doing it for casual hobby. So, Igor Dyatlov, the leader of the group and who this incident was named after, was the most experienced of them all. And Igor was a radio engineer and had made social radios to be used for hiking in a previous trip to the Sagan Mountains in Siberia. He had also developed a portable stove that would work in the harsh climates and brought it along with him this trip. Liuda Dubanina was another member who had been accidentally shot with a rifle on a hiking trip two years previously. Not only did she endure the pain for the remainder of the long trip back, but actually apologized for causing any inconvenience for the group. Zina Kolmogorova was another experienced hiker who, during a previous trip, was bitten by a viper. And despite others offering to help, she refused to pass any of her equipment along to others, not wanting to burden them down and just toughen it out for the remainder of the hike out. And Nikolai Vladimirovich survived a concentration camp as a child and had taken some long trips of his own into the Siberian forest. So he was known to be a careful and helpful hiker, and he's pretty good at fixing bags and equipment so that everyone else would not be pained or cumbered by their packages. So the point I'm just trying to drive through is that each of these people were very experienced and they knew what they were doing and the risk involved. So this is all going to factor in in a bit once we talk a little bit more about the incident, the theories, but that all will come later on.
1: So weeks after their departure to Kolot what's known as the Mountain of the Dead... The group fails to return as expected, and they were supposed to arrive on February 11th in Visay, and then subsequently send telegrams to their eagerly awaiting families. However, no telegrams were received that day. Military and civilian search parties from the Ural Polytechnic Institute were dispatched in order to locate clues regarding this strange disappearance. However, what was found... Has baffled and disturbed researchers for over half a century. A plane spotted something strange on the side of the Mountain of the Dead.
0: Hey, just a little side note: not uh, I'm not an experienced hiker by any means of the imagination, but I can't help but think if I'm supposed to travel over something that translates to Dead Mountain, I might want to reconsider my route. I mean, though it's supposed to mean dead, as in there's no like plant or animal life there to live off of, I think I'd rather just pass over a mountain range that has a less ominous-sounding name. <laughs>
1: So, where the plane had spotted something on the side of the mountain, search parties began to approach the location on foot, and found a plethora of footprints surrounding a damaged tent. And this tent was shared by all nine of the hikers, and it was peculiar to say the least. So, one of the investigators is quoted as having said, "...we discovered that the tent was half torn down and covered with snow." It was empty, and all the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind.
0: What's even more interesting is that the tent was actually cut open from the inside. So this means that it wasn't like a bear or a yeti that tried to tear open the tent to get into the hikers, which has been suggested. Now to me, this is one of the most interesting and intriguing aspects of this whole case What could have made these nine experienced hikers so terrified that they would just frantically slash their way out of the tents and run out into the snow almost half naked? I mean, even a regular person would know being out at night in sub-zero temperatures with barely any clothes on is basically a death sentence, most of all veteran hikers like these. So most of them didn't even take the time to grab like shoes or an extra coat or anything, they just booked it out immediately.
1: Right, and it really was a desperate act because, you know, had they been had they had time to think, they would have been able to unlatch the tent and open it up properly, but instead they slashed their way out from the inside.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's something just panicked them completely. And Eric, I know during our previous discussions of this case I've likened this event to Basically someone who's willing to jump out of a burning building to their death blow. In this situation, if you're presented with a much more painful and terrifying way to die, you would do anything to avoid it even if the alternative also leads to your death. So for these hikers, I mean something just must have caused them to momentarily think that whatever was happening at that moment would be worse than freezing to death outside. So. Just this event of them cutting their way out of the tent and running away is probably what I've thought and imagined the most about this incident. Just trying to think of, you know, what could have been so scary or confusing that it could make every single one of these people panic and just run out into the night to their inevitable demise.
1: So tracks found in the snow suggest that this group was scattered at first, but then came back together around. 300 meters down the slopes. Kind of like you said, Sean, they were desperate to get out of the tent. They shot out in all directions and then eventually began to regroup a little bit further down the slope. The investigators followed the trail of footprints down the hill and located the remains of a fire beneath a large pine tree at the edge of the woods. The first two bodies that were found were located roughly a mile from the campsite. Despite being relatively close to the campsite, which would have certainly provided essential items to their survival, the corpses were naked, or near-naked, and were, of course, frozen solid to the core.
0: Right, and I've heard a lot of people say just how strange it was that these two corpses were found wearing basically just underwear, as you would think they would at least have some type of layer on for sleeping. So the likely explanation is that they were the first two to die and that some of the others scavenged whatever they were wearing to put on themselves as protection from the cold. These clothes were probably already wet from the snow and half frozen, but I guess if you're that desperate you would basically try anything to put on an extra layer that you could find. Another explanation that I've heard is that there's an interesting side effect of dying of hypothermia and that the sensation that you are feeling is that you're actually starting to burn up with heat. And it has been observed by people who are obviously in a freezing elements, they have this urge and desire to actually strip out of their clothes to try and cool off, even though that's just hastening the effects and leading to their own deaths. That's actually something I hadn't heard of before researching this case. It's kind of counterintuitive that your body thinks it's overheating, when in reality it's shutting down from the cold. However, in this case, since some of the hikers were found wearing odd bits of clothing belonging to some of the naked members, the most likely explanation is that they removed the clothing from their dead friends, and uh, that's more likely than them undressing due to the hypothermia.
1: Right. And I think it's reasonable to think that when there's nine bodies in a relatively small tent that not everybody obviously is going to be fully dressed. And when whatever it was that caused them to shoot out of the tent occurred, you know, they obviously didn't have time to grab anything and whatever everybody was wearing was not enough to survive the elements. And so when two people did die, they put their clothes to good use.
0: Yeah, it's morbid, but it makes sense.
1: What's more disturbing about the initial scene was that the tree limbs of the pine above them were broken off to a height of nearly 15 feet up. Forensic investigation revealed chunks of skin embedded in the bark of the tree, indicating that these two individuals had frantically tried to climb the tree until their hands were swollen and wounded. And this was strange for many reasons. These men were, again, by all definitions of the term, hard woodsmen, and what could possibly have scared them out of their tent into this bitter cold and, you know, forced them to climb up a tree.
0: Yeah, and I've heard some people saying that, you know, maybe something was chasing them or, you know, coming after them and terrify these people so they try to climb the tree to avoid it. Maybe some type of wild animal or something chasing them. To me, I think this is one of the exaggerations of the case that we've talked about earlier. Some people try to make it more supernatural than it really was, like there's a pack of yetis after them. I think a more reasonable explanation that they might have climbed the tree to get a better view of their surroundings, see if they could spot their way back to their tent and camp, because, as we mentioned, they just ran out in confusion, and it's freezing cold, snowing in nighttime, and they have no idea where they are. Another way I think you could explain the broken tree limbs is that maybe they were trying to snap some of them off to start a fire. Maybe they were in a better condition than wood that was already left on the ground or
1: something. So a lot of people think that they were perhaps trying to escape some sort of beast, like you said, a pack of yetis or even something natural like a pack of wolves or bears or something. But, you know, the reality of the scene that they found was that there were no tracks and no significant damage to their remains. You know, they didn't have, you know, their their meat bitten off of them, essentially, which is what would happen if they were being hunted, Um, So nothing like that to indicate any sort of a struggle. So, And one of the other strange things is if they were in such a rush initially, how did they actually have time to build a fire?
0: Yeah, everything we've seen so far up to this point is basically just pure panic mode. I mean, they slashed away out of their tent. They're running in different directions. But my guess would be at this point that whatever had caused them to initially just completely panic and run out, had probably passed somewhat and they were finally beginning to think logically. So I mean obviously if you are in the freezing cold weather, one of the first things you're going to do is try to build a fire to warm yourself up. And it's interesting to point out that it seems at this point when the fire is made or either before or right after, this is where the hikers start to separate and split up. Now of course it's not known what caused them to split off into separate groups. Perhaps they had arguments about what the best course of action would be after this, or maybe some of them were not thinking straight and just wanted to keep running or moving away from the location. But from here on out, the remaining bodies would be found spread out in different areas of the mountain.
1: The immediate moment of being in the tent and then having to get out so quickly that you have to cut through, you know, the, the, the canvas that obviously all happened very quickly. However, you know, now they're a mile down the slope and they're thinking, so now what are we going to do? This is literally probably 10 minutes after the initial panic. So I I think this leans more towards the theory that, like you said, they were not being hunted by a particular predator, but something caused them to run away from their tent. And now in a moment of safety, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. So Not far from these two bodies, about 900 feet away, in the direction of the tent, so up the slope, was the body of the leader Igor Dyatlov, and this 23-year-old student had been on, you know, like we said, many of these expeditions and returned, nothing less than invigorated, and here he lay deceased after what was supposed to be a brief trek into the woods. So he too was frozen solid, lying on his back with one hand clinging to a small birch branch, while the other hand was raised over his head, as if to, as some would suggest, protect him from an attacker. And then two more bodies were found several hundred yards apart, all of them in a line pointing directly towards their original camp. So this kind of raises the question, had they been attempting to crawl back up to their tent to evade the elements, perhaps? So kind of my theory with this is that, you know, we've discussed how they ran down the slope to escape something. Now they're all in a group. They know if they don't do something, they're going to freeze to death. A portion of the group decides that they're going to try and brave whatever the initial threat was at the tent and three of them head back up to the tent and obviously you know, they don't make it. Here they lay, while the others are left down at the tree to fend for themselves.
0: I'd agree, I think that makes the most sense. Uh, I mean, at this point, the tent is still the only source of shelter you have from the elements. right? And it seems to me that Dyatlov being the, the leader most experienced knew this and that it was getting back to the tent was basically their only chance of survival and that he either led to or only other or only two volunteer to go back up with him where they could you know grab some of their clothing and equipment and I guess bring it back to the rest of the group and so they could start to warm up again you have four others that stayed behind by the fire you know maybe they figured they would, the best way of surviving was just to stay by the fire and warm up or they didn't want to go back up the slopes I mean, as it turned out, that might have been the slightly better option, as neither Dyatlov or his two companions actually made it back up to their campsite before giving in to the cold and dying of hyperthermia. So, actually, though it might have been the smartest thing to do to try to make it back up to the tent, it ended up killing them quicker than the others who stayed behind.
1: Sure, I could definitely see that being out in the open part of the slope with no trees for cover you know perhaps the three were going up to get the tent to bring it back down to their new campsite and so that they could survive that way maybe that's why they went a small group while the rest stuck around the fire who knows yeah i mean i really don't i don't really
0: know what i would do i mean at this point you're basically freezing and you have a small little fire that the seven survivors are trying to huddle around and basically your leader is telling you the only way we can make it is we have to go back into the dark of the night wandering up this hill trying to find your campsite again and basically you're just wearing like long johns or something so i don't know if i would want to leave the fire
1: either so it would not be for a couple more months until spring arrived and the ice began to thaw that the rest of the group would actually be found in a ravine a short distance further into the woods away from the pine tree with the fire They would be found buried under 15 feet of snow where they had perhaps burrowed down in order to make some sort of shelter, but they were nonetheless frozen dead.
0: Yeah. But this group of four, they were in a better state of dress than the two left nearly naked back at the site of the fire. So two of the hikers were found wearing clothing belonging to the first two who died by the fire, which again suggests that they cut off and wear the clothing of those two who were either dead or in the process of dying in an attempt to stay warm.
1: Autopsies revealed that most of them had severe internal injuries, including broken bones and organ damage. Strangely, though, there was no outward signs of trauma, so no scratches, no bruises, no soft tissue injury. It was all purely external Which, of course, is weird because it's like, how do you cause an external or an internal wound without causing an external wound? So what's even more bizarre is that shards of their clothing contained high levels of radiation. Right. And this
0: question of the radiation found on some of the clothing is probably one of the more debated aspects of this mystery that I found. Seems everybody wants to know where this radiation comes from but no one really knows. There are a few possibilities. One theory is that the area just has a natural high level of radiation from perhaps nuclear warhead testing done by the Soviet military. Another idea is that one of the hikers worked in a lab back at the university which dealt with radiation, so perhaps some of his clothing was contaminated and just kind of spread around. It's also possible that the gas lanterns they were using contained thorium, which could be a possible source of radiation. And Unfortunately, the information about this part of the incident is spotty at best. Apparently, there was no mention at all of radiation in the initial official report. It wasn't until sometime later, I think it might have been years later, that the clothing was actually tested for it. So no one really figured out why or how exactly did they come up with the idea to test the clothing for radiation. Couldn't really figure that one out. Also in some sources it details that a high level of radiation was found, while others mentioned that it was just a low amount or just slightly above the natural level. Also you would think that if there was some massive source of radiation that it would have affected everyone uh, there would be traces found on all the clothing except it was found on just a few select pieces so my thoughts on this is that considering the lack of reliable sources and information i don't think anyone can really accurately say what the cause of radiation was if it had any effect at all in the incident so i mean from where it stands i think the traces of radiation is an inconsequential aspect of this whole mystery
1: it is inconsequential i agree However, it does conveniently line up with another fact that we'll discuss a little bit further later on. And that was that when the bodies were found and funerals were held, a lot of the family members kind of subjectively and anecdotally believed that the skin of the hikers was a tinge orange more than it had been when they left. Now, this could have been caused by various different things. However, it does line up with perhaps them being exposed to some sort of radiation that had caused the discoloration in their skin and also led to the radiation on their clothes. So, inconsequential, yes. However, it does fit a possible theory.
0: Yeah, we'll get into that more a little bit later on.
1: So, the official Soviet investigator into this tragedy, Lev Ivanov concluded in his hastily composed report that all nine deaths had been caused by what he described as, quote, an unknown elemental force which they were unable to overcome. However, in private, he told people he thought it was aliens. So, I don't know. I mean, this could be, you know, part of a government cover-up Um, That, you know, they have this official investigator who's so confused and scared of the incident that he ultimately attributes it to something ridiculous like aliens.
0: Or it could be that he just has no idea. So just like, you know, if he can't actually figure out using anything logical, he's like, well, maybe it was aliens.
1: Perhaps. But I don't think aliens fit with any of the key details more than anything else. So, That's true. So after this, the investigation was closed and the area was roped off for four years until people eventually started to lose interest in the incident. So I guess what, now we can dive into some other further disturbing facts and myths regarding the Dyatlov incident. So one, one particular fact I wanted to bring up again was that the tent was found to have been ripped from the inside out. And this would indicate that they were either terrified of something they had already, that had already been sealed inside the tent with them, or that they simply did not have time to unclasp the tent in order to escape. Regardless, it's clear that they were in a hurry. There's no doubt about that. But I tr- when, when I look at situations like this, I try and put myself in their shoes. If I'm huddled in a tent, probably somewhat armed, you know, we've got knives, you know, with eight of my friends who I know they're hard, they know I'm hard. And let's say, for example, we hear aliens... Yetis, bears outside of our tent. What are we gonna do? We're gonna huddle inside our tent. We might have somebody poke their head out and try and get 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 eyes on the situation. But, you know, if there's something external, we're not gonna cut open our tent and dive out immediately. You know, we would try and take a more cautious approach. Whereas, if there's something inside the tent with us that's a threat or an irritation that we need to get away from immediately, that's the sort of situation where we would have to cut open the tent and get out. Like if one of them farted? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's happened to me before. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, that's a good point. You think if – I mean, again, going back to like if there was an animal or something – you know, the last thing you want to do if you see, like, a bear scraping at your tent is cut your way out. Exactly. Or if you see, like, UFOs, if you see, like, bright lights or something shining down you, you know. I mean, like you said, I do not want, to, be, I would want to stay, like, in the tent because that's the only shelter you have.
1: Right. And the other thing is that they got out of the tent, and what direction did they go in? All directions. Yeah. So.
0: so there's just no order at all. That
1: That makes it seem like there was something central that they were trying to escape. Right.
0: And again, that's this is one of the most important unknowns in this whole mystery, is just what drove these experienced hikers out of their tent to their basically certain deaths. And we'll cover a few likely explanations in a few minutes when we go into possible theories. Another myth that I would like to debunk is that there have been some rumors floating around the internet for quite some time that of the bodies recovered, their hair had turned a strange silverish type color. And in fact, this is a complete myth about the case and in reality it was well documented by the coroner that all of their hair was still its natural color. So I think it's just another little tidbit that got added on over the years to add a little
1: paranormal spice to it or something. Right. And who knows where this came from, if it was added on, you know, over the years. But one of the particular sources that I read suggested that the family members of the bodies at the funeral were looking at the bodies and saying, wow, their, their hair looks, seems to be a different color. So whether it was actually the family members or it was added on later on, who knows. Right. Another interesting fact is that the bodies of the remaining four who were found in the ravine months after the initial event showed these internal injuries without the external soft tissue injuries. And some investigators suggested that the force required to cause uh, contusions of this magnitude were described as having to be equal to that of a car crash.
0: Yeah, so we're talking about some massive trauma here. But I mean, luckily, because of this level of trauma, the bodies showed that when they were discovered, it also helps rule out a number of other theories Some speculated, at the time the bodies were found, that perhaps they were attacked by the native people of the mountain area. However, it's pretty highly unlikely, if not impossible, for a human to inflict the sheer amount of internal damage to the bodies found. I mean, there were damaged organs, multiple broken ribs, cracked skulls. Not something that would come out of a fistfight or anything using typical blunt weapons like a club. So this shows that whatever did cause the damage to this group of four hikers was either very massive, with a lot of force behind it, or moving at a high speed like an avalanche, or possibly the impact of falling a short distance into the ravine. And we'll go into a little bit more detail later on in the theory section. So another interesting little fact is that one of the hikers was known to always keep a personal journal on him about the hike. So Yudin, who is the lone survivor of the group that we talked about earlier, who did not go up with the rest of the group up the mountain, said that he saw his hiker friend carrying the journal with him once they left. However, this journal would never be found. So some people have pointed out that, you know, maybe they found something weird and the government took it, some kind of conspiracy cover-up, or perhaps they're just lost or covered in the snow but it is kind of odd considering the rest of the contents and the tent were not damaged. So it's kind of strange that this
1: one journal was not found. So yeah, not not only the uh, notebook, but the the camera was actually found. And, you know, this was one of the key items that people were looking for to hope to shed some light on what could possibly have happened. But, you know, like we discussed earlier, there were no... telling photographs, just smiling faces. So probably one of the most disturbing discoveries was the remains of remains of Miss Dubonina, whose eyes and tongue were completely gone. The tongue was actually ripped out at the root.
0: Yeah, this is definitely one of the more creepy facts about this case, that her face was disfigured, and that you know, she had some similar- of body parts removed. I've seen it put forth that she could have been attacked by some type of violent animal, or could have even bit her own tongue off with whatever caused the tremendous amount of blunt force trauma to her body. A more likely explanation that some have come up with is that, you know, she died with her face more or less intact, but then it was later scavenged by animals or insects which ripped out or ate away her tongue. So in reality, the official reasoning behind her missing tongue that was made at the time of the discovery was that her tongue and entire oral cavity had been degraded due to the microflora and fauna of where she was laying. So So it's more of a natural explanation.
1: So my question to you is then, why did it not happen to the other hikers?
0: Yeah, that is interesting that it only applied to her I think I read somewhere that she might have been like laying in a I guess when they found her like kind of in a pool of somewhat melted ice or something so maybe the water was like kind of something was in the water but yeah you would think that at least one other person would have this since there were four of them laying pretty much or four of them were found pretty much in the same area um yeah I don't have an explanation for that why she was the only one afflicted by this. Another mystery. So one last point I'd like to bring up is something that Eric's mentioned, and that apparently some of the bodies had an unnatural orange or deep brown tan color to them. Again, some have pointed to this part and suggested anything from intense nuclear radiation, or even UFO heat rays that could have caused the damage. But if you go by... A natural explanation, again, is that their bodies were exposed to the sun and elements for some days after they died, which could be the cause of this discoloration. This is made even more apparent when considering that the first group of bodies, including Dyatlov, when they were found, they did not have any type of discoloration. So this could be because they were found relatively quickly, while the remaining four were left out in the elements for a couple additional months. And another important note to make is that this aspect of the mystery, pretty much the only written account of this, of the strange skin colors, comes from a 12-year-old boy who attended several of the funerals. So I'm not sure that something this little boy says can be taken as the absolute truth. I mean, considering the weird condition of their skin color, doesn't make it into any of the official reports. So I'm thinking perhaps the boy just saw the effects of the elemental damage on their skin, and perhaps imagination took its toll, and sometime later he thought it was more severe than it was. Or some have stated that it could have been something that the mortician did to cover up the damage to their skin, which caused it to be an unnatural shade. But I guess there's a couple explanations that kind of debunk something unnatural about what their skin looked like.
1: So perhaps now I think we can sort of wrap up the discussion with some Final theories and explanations. Now, most people generally believe that there exists no single theory that fits all of these clues perfectly. And my own personal thoughts on that is, you know, I I tend to agree. I think there's a lot of different puzzle pieces that fit with certain theories, but nothing really seems to make it all fit together. Right. So one of the more obscure theories that's been put out there is that There were some sort of sexual relations going on between the men and the women in the group that could have potentially caused them to break out into a fight. However, you know, this to me doesn't really seem to explain them cutting their way out of the tent and running headlong into the night.
0: Right, and two of the men had broken knuckles or fingers which is the type of injury common with, like, a fist fight or something. However, as a reminder, there weren't really any external wounds to the, as we've mentioned before, to show that the hikers got into some type of hand-to-hand confrontation. I mean, none of them really had broken noses or orbital bones or deep scratches on their faces to suggest that they'd gotten into a fight. And also can't, I mean, personally, I just can't think of any type of conflict or fighting that would cause these people to, as you mentioned, slash open your tents and run out in all directions into the freezing night without, you know, even putting proper clothing on. With the other injuries the hikers sustain, maybe you can just blame the broken hands on, you know, maybe falling down and trying to protect yourself or something during the confusion. But yeah, I don't really buy into anything
1: personally going on within that group that would cause this whole thing to set off. Right, and I think this is a perfect explanation of a theory that explains a few certain details of the story, but overall doesn't really seem to fit. So the next theory was that it was some sort of wild animal attack, whether it be wolves or bear or even yeti. However, I think the main, you know, obviously this fits with perhaps a few details of the story, but I think the main thing that takes away from it is that there were no tracks found around the campsite that didn't belong to the hikers themselves so you know some people would suggest that the tracks were covered with snow um over the course of time between when the incident occurred and when the bodies were found however you know again you know the hikers footprints were completely intact right
0: yeah i don't really buy into that theory either you know i'm Like you said, I've seen a few suggestions saying, you know, those type of bear wolves that attack the campsite and cause them all to panic and run away. But again, as we said before, if you were being attacked from the outside by animals, why would you cut your tent open from the inside to escape? I mean, you're basically going out right where the creature animal is. And second, if they were actually attacked or mauled in any way, there would have been, you know, obvious outward signs of the bodies. like we mentioned, there weren't really many external wounds where if they were attacked by a bear or something, you'd have big claw marks or something to suggest that.
1: So uh, many people actually suspect that these hikers were unfortunately caught in some sort of top secret military experiment. Now this is a possibility. It might explain the radiation and the the alleged discoloration of the skin and the hair, and it could perhaps even explain the panic that caused them to dash out of their tent. Um, And given that this was uh, occurring around the height of the Cold War, however, um, there are claims out there that there's no real evidence of any sort of military experiments going on in the area for hundreds of miles in either direction.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's just no records of... Any type of experimental aircraft the Soviets were testing, or no evidence that the mountain range was being used for weapons testing. On the other hand, if there was some, if there was some type of top secret experiments going on, we probably wouldn't know about it, anyways. I heard an interesting theory involving a, I guess, air mines they were trying out, and that one of these experimental air mines kind of strayed off course and happened to go up the mountain where they were camping. And then it exploded right over the tent, which I guess could cause enough light, sound, and force to, to completely disorientate the hikers and cause them to flee in panic for some reason. So I mean, it sounds like it could fit when thinking of what could cause these people to temporarily kind of lose their minds and just abandon their tent. But unfortunately, there's no evidence or reports
1: to back up this theory, really. Yeah, and the other thing is, if this had been the case, by the time they got down the hill and were able to reorient themselves, it would make more sense that all of them would head back up to the tent. However, this was not the case. Only three of them did, and the rest stuck around to die. Right. So one particular theory that interested me was that they were, you know, slaughtered by nearby Soviet Union escapees. So these Soviet Union escapees were known as the Mansi tribesmen. And, you know, as the theory goes, these nine hikers were trespassing into these Mansi territory and that these individuals who were legendarily harsh Siberian natives were, you know, dealing with them accordingly. Um, The issue with this theory, though, is that, you know, there was no signs of any sort of money, food, or valuables like watches located anywhere nearby. And, you know, all of the alcohol and the blankets that the hikers had in their tent all just, you know, sort of stuck around. It didn't disappear. It wasn't stolen. And, you know, the other thing is that um, there were, again, a complete lack of external wounds. No stabs. No bullet holes. No nothing.
0: Yeah, and again, just like we were talking about with the animals, if you have a, p- if you have a pack of you know people outside, you know if they were trying to tear down your tent or something, why slash your way out of it? It just doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me. I guess it's a interesting theory, adding a human element to it. But I just don't see how, what could cause them to, again, slash the way out, run out, and just scatter all bunch around if they were actually being attacked by humans. Right. So if you take humans out of the equation, another popular but probably misguided theory is that UFOs did it. So there was a separate group of hikers that were about 50 kilometers away from the Dyatlov campsite and they claim that they saw these strange orbs of orange lights up in the sky on the exact same night of the incident. Similar sightings were recorded in the month following in the surrounding area. So some who are trying to support a more paranormal explanation have suggested perhaps UFOs attacked the campsite for some reason, you know, perhaps it was an abduction gone wrong or something. I'm not quite sure of the reasoning behind it, but basically this theory goes that the UFOs caused their panic, and that's what caused all the hikers to slash the way out of their tents, which would lead to their deaths.
1: The thing about theories like this is when you introduce UFOs and aliens into the scenario, all of a sudden anything's possible. Right, yeah. So, I mean, you know, by bringing up aliens, you know, it's like, oh, okay, what kind of technology do aliens bring with them that, you know, turns their skin orange and causes internal wounds but not external wounds and, you know, leaves radiation on their clothes and stupid stuff like that? You know, anything's possible. We could make up any UFO theory that would fit this puzzle perfectly. Yeah, and again, like, what's the
0: purpose beyond them just screwing around and scaring these hikers you know usually with ufos you hear about like abductions or something but obviously they didn't want any of the hikers they just wanted to freak them out so they would run outside and die which doesn't really make
1: sense to me yeah Uh, i'm not buying it
0: yeah and other explanations could be the phenomenon known as ball lightning perhaps this was up in the sky and this was the the strange orbs that people were seeing Or maybe it was some type of jet or just some other aircraft that happened to be flying over at the time that people were mistaking for strange lights up in the sky. But yeah, I don't don't think either of us really put too much stock into the UFO theory.
1: So one of my knee-jerk reactions, I think, you know, (laughs) it's funny, we should have started off our episode by saying that the night when we came up with the idea to create Strange Matters Podcast, we were actually sitting around a campfire outside of my old apartment uh, talking about the Dietlov Pass, which we, at the time, pronounce Dilatov Pass, and we have since educated ourselves. But nonetheless, the first theory that popped into my mind was that there had been some sort of avalanche that had occurred. You know, this would be a perfect example of, of something that would cause them to cut their way out of a tent and take off without grabbing any clothes or anything, you know, because once avala- avalanches travel at you know, you know, fifty to a hundred miles an hour, and you know, once you hear it coming, you hear that freight train coming, you have very little time to get out of the way. So these bewildered and disoriented, you know, hikers who had just you know been woken out of a deep slumber, dashed out into the night in order to escape being plowed over by an avalanche. But, you know, there was no signs of a snow pile up anywhere nearby, and the tent was, you know, when it was found, it was largely uncovered, and if you recall, that was what was spotted from the air. That was, you know, the first clue that was found was the tent so had it been an avalanche that thing would have been gone
0: yeah exactly i mean i think this just like you said it seems to be the most common and accepted theory like if you just presented this case to the average person i think they would think oh it's an avalanche so i mean it does make sense to think it was some type of natural disaster like an avalanche that basically started this whole incident So basically in this theory that, like we said, an avalanche is coming, so these people are desperate, they hack their way out of their tent, try to run away. The further explanation is that by getting hit by this avalanche is also what caused some of the extensive internal injuries, like the broken ribs. Then, you know, once the group made it to more level ground, some distance away by the big pine tree, they finally gathered themselves to decide what to do. Two of them would die right there. Dyatlov and two others would attempt to crawl the way back to the campsite, and the remaining four went deeper into the woods, where they would all die eventually. So like we said, this is probably the most popular theory. During my research, I was just recently reading over some posts online about this mystery, and I saw a lot of people just saying, oh, it was clearly an avalanche, and then just left it at that. So it does seem plausible and logical at first look, and it does seem to fit some of the aspects especially if you take in the other ideas we have talked about, like UFOs and experimentation. However, there are some pretty big holes in this theory that we're going to go over now. So as Eric mentioned, if they were hit by a massive avalanche, why was the tent only partially buried? You would think it'd be you know, stuck under 10 feet of snow or something. Also, if the trauma caused by the avalanche was enough to damage organs and break ribs and crack skulls, How did all nine of them escape the tent on their own accord and run off? You know, there were no signs to suggest that someone was dragged or someone was badly wounded who needed assistance. According to those who were following the tracks, everyone ran out on their own will. And then these badly injured hikers then somehow made it a mile away to the tree line to make a fire, and then later on traveled even further into the woods before they finally died. So, I mean, I think even if you had adrenaline pumping through your body which I'm sure they did, I would think that at least one of them would be too badly hurt to just run off into the night out of the tent if they had just got hit by an avalanche.
1: Right, and I think the other thing that we are once again underestimating with this theory is the level of experience these guys had. I seriously would doubt that they would put themselves in a situation where they would be completely exposed to something like an avalanche, you know, occurring, I bet they would, you know, put themselves at least in a cave or in a forest or something where an avalanche is less likely to occur. Um, The other thing is that, you know, they came out of the tent, dashed in all different directions and then ran down the slope. I'm no avalanche expert, but I would think that running down the slope in order to escape an uh, avalanche that's traveling at you know 100 miles an hour would be kind of a fool's errand. I would probably run laterally, you know, and try and, I mean, if there's any sense in running in the first place, if this is the theory we're going with, I would run laterally. Yeah, maybe it's
0: like a riptide or something where you're not supposed to struggle against it. You're supposed to get out of the way or escape it. Right,
1: and you're never going to outrun an avalanche, ever.
0: Yeah, exactly. So another theory off of the avalanche is that something else we don't know, but something scared them out of the tent. And it was only the four found in the ravine who were hit by the actual avalanche, which is why only they had the traumatic internal injuries. Unfortunately, this idea is also unlikely, as there would be telltale signs around the area of an avalanche, like Eric mentioned earlier, which there really weren't. You know, the bodies that were found near the campsite and the two by the fire were covered only with a shallow layer of snow, and if an avalanche had come down off the mountain, they would have wiped them away too, and they would be covered deeply by snow. Perhaps most damning of all against this theory is... Of all the further excursions and the recent studying of the area, there is no evidence or reports to suggest that avalanches occurred at that location, especially at the time of the year when the temperatures were well below freezing.
1: That's a good point, especially in the middle of the night, you know, there would have to be something to set off the avalanche. But, you know, like you said, the temperatures were so cold, it's not like the snow is melting. Normally, these things occur in the summertime when the snow is melting, yeah. And, you know, what's going to happen at night? I mean, nobody was shooting any guns. or probably no explosions unless we're combining the military experiment theory with the avalanche theory. But, yeah, it just doesn't really seem to fit.
0: Yeah, so... I mean, I just think if you take all these into account, I personally don't find the avalanche theory to become the be-all, end-all of this mystery that some people suggest.
1: So another fact I wanted to point out was that some have speculated that since the four most badly injured hikers were found in the ravine, that their injuries would have been sustained from falling into it. And this is definitely a thought that crossed my mind when I was reading through this. A member of the original rescue team had this to say about it. The slope of a ravine had a range of heights from 3 up to 5 meters, which is 10 to 17 feet in the general area where the skiers were found. It is quite possible that the injuries recorded could have been sustained by a sudden fall, especially given the fact that these people would have been tired and have had limited visibility. It does seem a little strange to me that all four of them would fall into the ravine at once. The group had previously walked in a straight-file line, as is custom in the snow to conserve energy. Although after everything had happened, they could have been just too zoned out or weren't paying attention from fatigue and suffering from hypothermia to notice where they were going.
0: Yeah, I think that's a little more likely for them to—the trauma caused to their bodies from falling rather than an avalanche because there really wasn't any signs in the area of an avalanche actually happening. So just to wrap up and to give our final opinions of this case, uh, I think this is just a mystery where even after so much time looking into it, I really can't come up with one theory that I feel comfortable with thinking is the right one. Another problem, and one of the benefits of this mystery, is that you can come up with a dozen different theories. By the same time, you can start punching big holes in each of those theories. So yeah, the obviously outlandish UFO attacks or even something as logical as an avalanche, there really is nothing that we know of that completely satisfies as a legit concrete explanation. So if I had to take a guess from my research into it, I would think that, you know, maybe there was some type of sudden windstorm or maybe a mini earthquake or some type of loud snow shift. I mean something that would make a lot of noise and make the hikers think that they were about to be hit by an avalanche, when in reality, they were perfectly safe inside their tent. So in this panic state of mind, they quickly cut their way out of the tent, and they ran off after each other, getting lost in the night. And by the time they all regrouped, they were already freezing and suffering, and it was basically too late for them. So I mean, whether they died from hypothermia or blindly walking into a drop of the ravine, in reality, the hikers were dead pretty much as soon as they left the shelter of their tent. So really, this entire mystery boils down to this single question. Why did nine experienced hikers abandon their camp in hostile weather conditions, knowing it would almost certainly lead to their deaths? And we still don't know the answer. So I I think the answer to all the important questions, in this case in general, would just be one of those mysteries that were forever be unsolved.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a good way to wrap this up. It really does ultimately boil down to what caused them to cut their way out of the tent. Because after that, you know, if you accept the theory that whatever it was that caused them to cut out of the tent, you know, it was a continuous threat and they had to stay away from it so much so that they ran a mile away from their campsite. You know, after that, everything kind of starts to seem to make sense. Um, you know, you've got the individuals who stayed out for extra months, you know, their skin turned orangish, they had the internal wounds that could have possibly been caused by a fall, you know, the three that decided to go back up the hill died from hypothermia, and this all occurred after the two had already died from hypothermia underneath the pine tree. So I think, you know, if we could at least just identify that one missing detail, everything else already seems to make sense.
0: Exactly. It's just that one question that I've been wondering about and probably a bunch of other people have been wondering about for years and years is what made them run out of their tents. But again, that's what makes this a good mystery is that we'll probably never know.
1: So that wraps it up for this episode of the Strange Matters podcast. If you have other clues or missing details that we left out that you would like to add, please email us at our email address, strangematterspodcast at gmail.com, or feel free to listen and comment on our website, strangematterspodcast.com. And if you're listening to us on iTunes, please leave us a rating and a review. It really helps us to promote the show.
0: Strange Matters is made possible by our generous listeners who are supporting the podcast through our Patreon page. On Patreon, you can donate as little as $1 a month towards the show, and all of our patrons can help decide what topics we should focus on each month. You can also get access to exclusive bonus episodes every month that we will make just for our patrons. And for those who have pledged already in the first group, we will be releasing an exclusive episode in the near future. Even though this is our first month on Patreon, we are already coming close to reaching our first goal, so big thanks to everyone who has supported the show so far. If any of you other listeners are interested in helping support and helping out our podcast, you can visit our page at patreon.com slash strangematters, or just visit our website and click on the Support Us page. So until the next time at Strange Matters Podcast, take care everybody. See ya.